You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to On the Bench. I am Josh Newberg. And we have a full cast of characters here today. We have Brennan Sinone, we have Chris Nee, and Zach Blostein. Uh, first, Chris, how you doing? You look great. I'm fantastic. Oh man, you look great today. Uh, Brendan? I'm great. Uh, I, I can I can smell stuff now, which is fun. I'm excited to hear that. Uh, Zach, how are you? I'm good. I'm just lucky to not have COVID like all you guys. Yeah, I, I just got done nose jabbing myself, in fact. About 20 minutes ago. Hey. Two times. <laughs> We're a sick bunch. But anyway. With a Q-tip? With the COVID test. I had to get one for travel for the ACC kickoff. Also figured I might as well get one since I just came back from traveling. You know who doesn't have to get tested for the next three months? This guy. Yeah, all you had to do was lose your uh, ability to smell and probably have the poops. Congrats. Not a bad consolation the, prize. The poops is the one thing I did not have, surprisingly, given my history of... But never mind, Josh, go ahead. Take over. Sorry. Yeah, I am taking over because it's time for the mailbag. Um, mailbag! We had Knowles 24-7 members submit their questions on the message board. This is always fun. We put up the post yesterday, and uh, you guys really filled up the mailbag. So let's get to it. The first question comes from JRod31. He says, give the people what they want. Let's do some over-under. I guess that's what the people want over under. <laughs> that's what J-Rod wants. All right. Uh, this is mostly pertaining to the team. So let's go KZ 2000 passing yards over under. Over. I'll take over. 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 Uh, Parchment 750 yards receiving. I'm taking over because that's only really an average of about 65 yards per game. Yeah, I'll go over if he's healthy the entire year and presumably the number one. Uh, that, that that should be attainable. I'll go under. Yeah, I'll take Ooh. the under as well. Uh, Corbin at 600 yards. Over. Yeah, I'll go over. He had like 450 last year in a 10-game season. Sorry. Yeah, rushing. Yeah, he had like yeah. 400 or yeah. so in a 10-game season last year, and he wasn't 100%. So. I think they're going to be a slightly better running team than last year, and they also play a couple slappies that will allow them to elevate some stats despite spreading the ball out among that room. Zachary? Oh, I'll go over for that too. I'll take the over. Uh, this is Cam, 600 yards receiving. Is he talking about Cam McDonald? Cam McDonald, yeah. I'm uh, taking uh, the under. I don't believe under. in tight ends till it actually happens. <laughs> under. Yeah, uh, let's set the tone for the pod, Chris. I love it. <laughs> well, they're yeah, going to be rolling out their five tight end set that Josh is really excited to just see. Wait till Brian Corden gets there. <laughs> yeah, there's just too many tight ends to catch 600 yards. I, I just, I don't see it. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, seven and a half sacks. Uh, taking the over because I want to be an optimist. Under. Barely. Under. Yeah, under, unfortunately. Um, I am AD. New question. This is going to go Bayer Sinone. Um, let's start with Zach. Bayer Sinone. Our starting safeties against Notre Dame are Gant and Jay. Who are the other options? Renardo Green, if he's healthy, if I he's think healthy. would be the, the variable. Yeah. Sidney Williams, if he's healthy. I don't know why I said Williams like that. Williams. 
if he's healthy. Uh, yeah, I think those are just because of uh, I think Renato Green would have a good shot if he wasn't didn't have that injury, but um, he'll probably be healthy. But probably you, you start Gant and Jay to start off the season. Any anybody um, disagree with Gant and Jay at safety? I'm synoning it. I don't think Gant starts. Who you got I'm, back there, Renardo? I don't know. I just don't expect Gant to start. I think Gant's a run support guy that they use. I think mm-hmm. he'll be used plenty. I'm just not taking him as a starter. I don't think he's one of the eleven on defense. I'm buying it right now. Yeah, I'm gonna buy right now. Um, Ritzy Rubs wants to know. This is a good question. If you could add five previous Knowles from the last 10 years to this year's team, who would they be? So you're going back to the 2011 team. Jameis Winston, Delvin Cook. uh, Give me Rashad Green. Rashad. Brian Burns. Mario Edwards Jr. All right. Wow. I I deviate from Chris. I think that's a terrible five. Yeah, I do too. Thanks, Josh. So the first two I agree with, even if there's deficiencies, right, around Jameis Winston, uh, I think you still have to to get that in mm-hmm. for the culture. Uh, Dalvin Cook obviously masks offensive line deficiencies. I go Cam Irving. He's an All-American at center and left tackle. So he fills in and upgrades one of those two spots immediately. Uh, helps the offense, helps Jameis. And then I would go Jalen Ramsey and... Some stuck between Derwin, Telvin, and Timmy Jernigan. I think Telvin just for the culture. I think Telvin, senior year Telvin Smith is what I would go with. That's See, the fifth. I go Jameis Winston for sure. Dalvin Cook for sure. Because you need two guys that can just make plays on their own without anybody mm-hmm. else helping. Then I think you got to work on the defense. And you got to work the middle of the defense. You got to go Timmy Jernigan for sure mm-hmm. in the middle. LaMarcus Joyner. It's safety for sure, because he's he's kind of the culture, the tone setter that you talked about as well with, with Telvin. And then for my fifth and final, I think you almost have to go Rashad Green. To help out to help, to help out James. But you're you not you're not gonna to. pick Jalen Ramsey. I mean, he, he's literally can start three positions at an all-American level. Mm. And culture. Yeah, yeah, I would probably go Jalen. I'd probably go Jalen Ramsey. He was on my original list, but when Chris said Rashad Green, I was thinking, yeah, you can't just leave them with no wide receivers. But uh, I was thinking originally I was going to go Jernigan, Joiner, and Ramsey with uh, Cook and Winston. It's tough. I know. For me, I think the defensive back group I'm going to leave alone. I go Dalvin, Jameis, like for sure, and then I, I agree with Brendan with Cam Irving. Like I think you mm-hmm. need a, a, a solid offensive line piece. Bring Rashad Green, and then you get a get a pass rusher in Brian Burns. Can't argue with any of those. I mean, well, this isn't so awful now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we all pretty much just went over like ten different names and just divided it between the four lists. So you really only need Jamison Dalvin. Part of me initially when I saw this was thinking of like not putting Jameis on there because I wasn't sure like whether I can give him enough help to make a difference. But then I thought that was just stupid. Yeah, you not. put quarterbacks on your top 40 list at number one, regardless of their name, even if it's James Blackman. So you, sir, cannot say that. I told you I thought it was stupid after I thought about it a little bit more. I have insight. All right. Knowles, 1998. Uh, Byer Mike Norvell doesn't decide QB1 until Notre Dame week. Chris? I'm synoning it. You think he'll do it before? You thought he was going to do it in the spring. so Yeah, I, I think he does it a couple weeks out. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I it. I don't think it'll be the week of Notre Dame. I think it'll be probably after that, uh, probably after the final scrimmage, which is like a, like maybe 10 days before Notre Dame game. I don't know. Sometime I'm I think, I think he waits as long as possible. Ooh, a little. Well, yeah, I'm buying it too. Not only do I think that he does not name a starter. I don't think he names a starter Notre Dame week. I think it's Jacksonville state week. We get our first. FSU starting quarterback. Wow, player. you're you're going with the or on the depth chart. Yeah, going into I think he one. does. I can see that too. I, I mm-hmm. keep the advantage as much as you can. Also, like keep the culture and like keep you know Jordan Travis or Mackenzie Milton whoever loses it. Like you don't want them bolting, right? Especially J Traff. So you got to wait in, until that first week. I think that makes only sense. one of those two quarterbacks is on the Maxwell Award watch list, gentlemen. Oh God, Chris in his award season. This is like what he lives for. Preseason watch list, nothing yes. better. Oh, are we there yet? Yeah, we are. There. Oh yeah, it started today. Okay, it's the one year anniversary of Marvin Wilson being in contention to win everything. Well, yeah, life life comes at you fast. D Heasy wants to know which game that we shouldn't win: Notre Dame, Florida, Miami, Clemson would help maintain our twenty-two recruiting momentum the most. Well, Notre Dame, right? Because what that does to set the tone for the entire season. Yeah, plus there's going to be like 850 kids. Yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the game where the most recruits are probably going to be in attendance. So they're going to all have eyes on FSU's product on the field. But it's also the first game. So say Notre Dame goes down. Say FSU beats Notre Dame in week one. Don't you think that Miami game will now be like the biggest game of the season for recruits? Well, yeah, it would keep changing if they keep winning games. Sure. Right. But I think you can cash in a lot of chips if you beat Notre Dame. And he does say in the question, which would help maintain our 22 recruiting momentum the most? Pride Notre Dame would help it, maintain that. Is it, real moment, that. is it real momentum or fake momentum? Well, you can buy or on this. Our new transfers will lead us in passing yards, receiving yards, tackle sacks, and INTs. Uh, I Sinone on the tackles. I think Amari Gaynor probably he led the team in, in tackles last year. Now you're moving him closer to the ball. Um, and I'd probably Sinone it on interceptions too. I'm not sure who will. I just think there's so many guys in contention for that. I don't feel like one of those newcomers is a definite to be that guy. Uh, but about half of them, like half of the secondary, is going to be a, a transfer from the last year or two, right? Jerry and Jones, yeah, but transfer, new transfers only. Therefore, oh, okay. Jones and Dotson. I guess I wouldn't count towards that. Okay, same category, which is why I'm synoning it because I think okay. those two easily could. I'm with you. He did say new transfers. My bad, I wasn't listening. I pay attention. Good for you. Um. Beach 407, interested to hear about the two transfers going to ACC kickoff. That says a lot about how Norvell views the team. Um, just real quick, what do you think, Brendan? Oh, we talked about it a little bit last week. I think it is interesting that it, it, it does show how he views the team, that if you're able to come in, and it's kind of the same philosophy for, for walk-ons getting scholarships. If you show value, it doesn't matter how long you've been here or what your background is, Like you'll be promoted through the ranks. So I think that was was pretty telling to put Jermaine Johnson and McKenzie Milton uh, as your face of the program, despite uh, not having played a snap yet. But we talked about that a little bit. Chris, what, what are your thoughts on on the three guys who were announced for the ACC kickoff? Well, on the two transfers, I think that's college football 2021 in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also speaks volumes about the current roster for FSU, that they're two of arguably the most talented guys on the roster. Arguably, they're the two most talented guys on the roster. Arguably the two most important, uh, depending on how that countdown shakes out. Spoiler alert. 
All right. Big Drip Noel. He wants to know, will the annoying questions about the NIL ruining the locker room ever go away? Never. I don't know if they will because we don't know. We don't know yet. My feeling on the NIL stuff, even though I'm all for it, I think it's the I think it's the right thing to do, and I think that it's just inevitable due to the machine that college football has become. I still don't know if the NIL stuff is actually good for college football. I think they'll get used to it, though. I'm with you, Josh. Like, there's variables that we don't know yet, but but I think the, in terms of like, will people stop complaining about it or asking questions about it? Yeah, in the next couple of years. Like, do you remember when you first wrote your? I think it was Demarcus Adams. Was he the first FSU player to enter the transfer portal? And people were mad at you for writing about it. Yeah. And look how much yeah. that's changed. Now there's still people who are skeptical of what the whether the transfer portal is good yeah, long term for like, football. They were upset because they were like, Josh, he didn't transfer yet. And I was like, Well, you guys don't understand. I'm just this is reporting the news in 2019 right. or whatever year it was. Like this but, is news now, guys. And of course, now you got fans bringing news have- to the message board before the guys even in the portal. And now we have rankings of the transfer portal and that gets all sorts of views. They want me to do, you know, an update every few weeks in the off season of who's in the portal uh, and who are targets. That wasn't worth reporting on. That's why we don't listen to them. Well, I mean, I'm I'm (laughs) five star reviews uh, for on the bench, please. No, I mean, it just, it takes, I think it's just going to be a recalibration of, of how we view things. And and the NIL is going to, did I do something wrong? You, you did at the time. It was the worst thing. You now did, you have uh, portal trackers, like a whole uh, Twitter account that's just a portal tracker with like 100,000 followers. Exactly. Uh, the best part about that was was that Alexander Marshall came in to defend DeMarcus Adams and it's like, oh, people want to talk about all these you know, transfers or whatnot, but we're the, here, the guys who were 10 toes down this entire time. And, yeah. uh, and, and both of those guys are no longer with the program. Yeah, so I don't know when the questions are going to stop about that, and I I don't know what to tell you. Just but eventually, eventually, never. Oh, Nathan Black, twenty-five, Byer Sinone, Jermaine Johnson finishes the season with more sacks than Jordan Travis finishes with rushing touchdowns. Ooh, um, I, I thought long and hard about this one. It's one of the few I cheated on prior <laughs> to the questions coming. I I'm gonna Sinone it. I think Jordan Travis leads FSU in rushing touchdowns. Ooh. Ooh. So do you think he has like eight or nine rushing yeah. touchdowns? Yes. Yeah. I think he, he's going to be ballpark right around low double digits. Possibly. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to follow Chris's logic there. I think that's, I think that's entirely reasonable. I think Jermaine Johnson is going to get about six sacks is kind of where I have him like that being a solid season in my mind. So J Trev exceeding that. Sure. Sure. Why not? Yeah. I'm putting, I, I got like Jermaine getting like seven sacks, but I don't know. Like, because Jordan Travis had, like, most of the snaps last year, obviously, with him getting probably limited snaps with, with Milton in the picture. I'm not sure how many rushing touchdowns he gets. I'm a, I, I would guess, like, five or something for me. So I'm, I'm a I'm a buy that, that Jermaine Johnson gets more sacks than, than him getting rushing touchdowns. And for what it's worth, uh, Jay Trav had seven rushing touchdowns last year, and that was with him missing a couple games as well. Right. And I, I'm going to buy – or I'm going to synone it um, – I'm going to synone it because I think also if there's any chance that Mackenzie Milton goes down with an injury, then I think it certainly locks Jordan into this bet that we're making here. That's true. Or whatever it is. <laughs> AVFO3 wants to know, uh, Brandon, I'll throw this to you. How are player workouts football specific? 
That's what he said. Oh, so like the off-season conditioning yeah. workouts? I know um, a lot of these guys get big and strong, but is it functional growth? Yeah, they, this, Josh Storms does a really good job with, with trying to have some sort of like a applicable football-esque workout. So, so it's not like just wind sprints where you're running for 15, 20 seconds at a time, which isn't consistent with football when it's usually like five seconds per, per play or something like that. So they have a lot of short burst stuff. Uh, and they also like focus a lot on hand-eye coordination during these drills where they're like throwing tennis balls at guys. So, so yeah, it's not like they're running around with a football and it's football specific in that regard, but, but they do want to have some transferable uh, skills when they're doing their mat drills and whatnot. Thank you. Yep. Zach, coming to you, Osceola239 gave me three scenarios and you got to tell me which is more likely to happen. I'll read them all. Landing Skinner and Coleman. So landing Julio Skinner and Kevin Coleman. Landing Marvin Jones Jr. and Nigel e. Kelly. Or the third, landing Julian Armella and Pritchett. Definitely the first one. Julio you Skinner. Think the most likely to happen would be Skinner and Coleman. Does anybody... Yeah. If this was that? Family Feud, I'd be like, good answer, good answer, good answer. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it. Yeah, I think that for several reasons. One, okay, Skinner and Coleman... Some of us have these, both these guys crystal balled to FSU in some capacity or one of the two. MJJ and Nigel Eek, I mean, that one might be the least likely of the, of the three right now. And then you got Armella and Pritchett. Well, it sounds great. I guess that could happen too, kind of. So, let's you guys, think, what, most like what would Josh you, just convinced himself that FSU is getting all the recruits. What would you rather have? Not what's the most likely, but what would be the most valuable of one of those combinations? I'll go with the two stud tackle options for a team that hasn't had any tackles in a long time. Yeah, I'll take the MJJ and Nigel e. Kelly for a team that hasn't had a pass rusher since Brian Burns left in 2017. That you know that would be a good combo too. Someone take the other one, so we just cover all three. The wide receivers, sure. <laughs> and I'll take the wide receivers since FSU doesn't have any of those. I, I do right. feel like the, I do feel like the defensive end is the best combination of like the best odds of one of those guys playing on Sundays. Like I feel pretty damn good that one of those two, if not both of them, mm -hmm. do. Uh, the other ones, uh, you know, I think it's a little more for crapshoot. Middle GA Noel ninety nine start bench cut. Is this like Mary F Kill start yeah. bench cut? I've never heard start bench cut, but. I'm down with it. All right. Derwin James, Jalen Ramsey, Travis Hunter. <laughs> oh, shit. As recruits, though. Uh, as recruits? Yeah, he said as recruits because uh, we don't know what Travis Hunter will be. But, but so we know what Derwin James and Jalen Ramsey. So we Boy. cut Derwin James if we understand that, like, if his – do we assume he has the same injury issues he had at FSU and you don't get him pretty much for half of his career? As recruits, you know. Follow I along. I don't know. I'm not cutting any of them. I'm starting all three. I don't like your game. I don't play your game. We're not playing that. All right. I'd start Travis Hunter because I'd start him on both sides of the ball. I I would um, bench Derwin James because I still want him on my team, I guess. And then I would cut Jalen Ramsey because um, – he was committed to USC and wouldn't have come unless Pruitt was here. So he's not a true Seminole, in my opinion. In this, <laughs> I hope he Twitter ran to you in the submission. 
<laughs> I'm gonna tag Josh him. Josh is gonna deactivate his account when Jalen. I had to figure out a way to play the game in my head. So there you go. Someone tag Jalen Ramsey when the podcast posts, please. <laughs> and Josh, but only and Josh. Josh. Not only Josh. Us. I don't want any. We of that love smoke. you, Jalen. Not Josh, apparently. <laughs> you know what? I'm starting Jalen. <laughs> Me too. I'm starting him and Derwin in the in the secondary. There you go. I'm not cutting anybody. Danella Noel wants to know. Since his hire, Norvell has brought in roughly 58 new players, either through recruiting or transfer. Two-thirds of the scholarship roster has been, quote, flipped. The majority of the kids on scholarship have been brought in by the staff, along with tons of walk-ons. With most publications, media predictions still in 5.5 wins with seven top end. Are the kids they brought in simply not talented enough, slash warm bodies? Um, too young in the development cycle, simply not enough info on them yet. A little bit of all. When do you feel we can truly say that these are Norvell's guys and get a big picture recruiting development snapshot? So I think short term, we're going to have an idea of what this team is after probably three, four games. I think long term, this isn't what this, this team's going to look like as a Mike Norvell vision if they're able to have some success and get in the guys they want. This is a baseline group in my view. It's about kind of trying to get it to balance out, be more consistent, be able to install what you want to be, go try to be the best you can be, win as much as you can. The reason for the projection of five and a half to seven by most, I think is because the talent isn't all that good or at least it's unproven in a lot of capacities. Um, I don't think the roster is particularly talented personally. That's my view of it going into the season. But I think there are guys that can exceed expectations. I think Parchment's a very talented dude. I think Jermaine Johnson's a very talented dude. Milton, if he's able to kind of break through, I think increases that level for FSU as a whole because that position holds so much. But the O-line still has a lot of warts, isn't very good. It is getting better, but it still has needs. It hasn't been able to produce a good pass rush in years. Secondary has been so underwhelming for multiple years that, you know, they were horrendous last year that it's just tough to kind of jump on board and expect, oh, man, they're going to make a vast improvement. I, I I don't think the talent is good enough in the sense of some of the carryover of former top-level recruits exceeding expectations of what they've done here, plus a combination of new guys coming in, I think are more guys that kind of bring stability versus raising it up. One thing that I'll add to Chris's point is with the expectations of what five and a half wins is what Vegas has and how the newcomers, specifically the transfers, kind of impact that. If you think about the the 10 or so transfers they've brought in this offseason, a lot of those guys have big question marks about them. So even we, while we could be optimistic about them raising the floor at, at certain positions like McKenzie Milton, the knee is, is still a question mark and how he does after taking the first hit. Jermaine Johnson, while he might be the most talented player on the roster, he was a backup at Georgia uh, and hasn't been a full-time starter for majority of his career. Uh, Kara Thomas, again, kind of a fringe starter uh, this past year at South Carolina. Uh, Andrew Parchment coming off of a really down season. Marcus Cushney jumping up from the FCS level. Brandon Moore coming off of an injury. I mean, Jamie Robinson's probably the, like the most polished surefire thing where you know what you're getting out of those, those newcomers dylan gibbons a reserve uh for most of his career so, so that's i guess my point is is that yeah you, you want to assume that a lot of these guys raise the floor and i think there's reason to be optimistic about all of them uh, we just don't know that and, for sure in in raising the floor could be incremental while in fans eyes 
it's a it's a big leap. And right. to your point, Brendan, even when I would talk to the coaches about some of these guys as they hit the portal or were in the portal or after they took them, you know, so there was always the phrase, well, they're in the portal for a reason. Mm -hmm. And that goes to exactly what you said. It's like when you're shopping, but you're also shopping on the discount rack, there's a reason it's a discount. Either, like you said, they hadn't cracked the starting lineup or they're coming off of injury. Almost every guy has a little something to him in the background that plays into the reason why he was in the portal. He wasn't in the portal because he had a, he had a unbelievable year and just wanted to transfer like that. Even though that's what we want to believe where FSU gets their guys, that's not actually where they're getting their guys from. And when you talk about 10 players coming from the portal, but they all have some sort of baggage that comes with them. You just got to understand statistically speaking that like all of these guys are not going to boost FSU in the same way that guys on the team are. Um, you have to lean on development. And I think Florida State understands that. They certainly do with the offensive line. I mean, they're being patient there. They like what they have, but they just have to develop it. And I think it's hard to project anything past seven wins with this, with the roster uh, and what they've been able to do this offseason. It's been good, but it hasn't been perfect. Yeah, I, I don't think people need to get obsessed with wins and losses solely in the form of oh, development boy. and improvement. I understand it's always measured by that, but they can be a vastly better team as a 500 team this year. And it's only, a, you know, two, three game jump and wins, but they might be vastly better. But also the other thing we need to remember, I think Sinone's point and Josh's point very much spoke to this. This is a time of optimism. Everybody loves to live with optimism. Some of the hope and expectation and the optimism isn't going to come true. And, as you kind of try to judge, like, I think some, I don't want to tell people how, how they should feel about this team. I, I will say, if you want to be realistic, it, like there's an article that Phil Steele had about this team being improved, but he still has them finishing fifth in, in the Atlantic division. People need to understand that's still improvement. FSU has finished sixth, sixth and fourth. I think the last three out of the last four years in the division and then this past year, obviously there weren't divisions. They would have probably finished like sixth or seventh in it. Uh, so you getting to 500, like Chris said, is improvement. Hell, that's if you win six games this season, if you're in the middle tier of the ACC, uh, you're doubling your output from a year ago. Yeah. So so that is just to be realistic of, of what growth actually is for this program, where it is right now. And if you get to the end of the year, end of the year and you don't feel like saying the words blow it up, that's an improvement. And you also can say, oh, they got a good recruiting class and they kept it together. It's coming in. It's going to improve this roster. That's also an improvement. Mm -hmm. All right. Kimbo Knoll, 024. What is more likely, Chris, FSU wins eight games this year or Destin Hill plays one down of football at FSU? <laughs> I'll take eight games because I'm not expecting the other one at this point. Kimbo threatened uh, threatened me uh, via DM to to read this. Uh, so I'm glad that you answered it, Josh. Um, I think, man, yeah, I'm skeptical that we'll ever see Destin Hill play a snap. Usually, like when this gets pushed back, it's not a good thing. We've talked about that before. But eight wins is a lot of wins. Like I'll go with the the 25 percent chance that Destin Hill plays over like a, a 10 percent chance at FSU can win eight games yeah and he says one down of football what? at FSU like I'm I'm thinking that means like period his whole career I know oh, I if he doesn't this year 
I, oh, for that's the record, a big, I was changing that's a big, this year. That's See, a big, well, do you change your answer then, Chris? Because that is no, a big difference. No. Okay. <laughs> but I, I was taking it this year when the question was right. All right. Let's go. Um, break down what Norvell can do different this year than last with a true blocking tight end and Milton as a QB. Who's the true blocking tight end? Wilson? Jordan Wilson. Let's let Chris talk about that because I think he's he's the most excited over that prospect. And then you can talk about tight ends after Josh because I know well, you want to really get into that. We saw last year that when they were able to actually run the ball and get to the line of scrimmage that they had success when they were able to get to the line of scrimmage. That's the key part of that term is so often they were hitting the backfield and that caused running yardage to be depleted. But when they got to the line of scrimmage, they were a successful team. Metrics show that. I think Jordan Wilson's a guy that helps them get to the edge whichever side he's set up on, he's essentially an additional offensive lineman. I think it certainly helps there. I think the other thing with Jordan Wilson is when you have quarterbacks who have some ability to their game, capable passers while moving the pocket, he allows the pocket to shift a little bit stronger to one side or the other. I think that's a big area of improvement for him. More than anything, you've got a guy who he's built like a fridge and is capable of handling that role versus basically a walk-on who was put into that role last year. And, kind of had to fight that battle and he did the best he could. But I think Jordan Wilson's a vastly better player with far more experience at this level. Preston Daniels, who Chris is referring yes. to. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was, he was a walk-on playing as a true freshman, uh, nearly 200 snaps. Yeah, and he battled his ass off, but yeah. he was what he was. He was eliminated. He wasn't a guy who had been through it. He's certainly not a guy who's physically built like Jordan Wilson. So that'll impact the offense. Uh, I think that's something the FSU wants to do. Mark Norvell loves running with, with two tight end sets. That frees up Cam McDonald to be a, a wide receiver type of option, which given the lack of depth and experience at wide receiver, I think is valuable. And then the other part of that question was what, what McKenzie Milton does for the offense. I, I think um, I think attacking the middle of the field is something that he can do. At a fairly high level, it's something that Jordan Travis wasn't super consistent with. They kind of try to play it safe and have him attack their perimeter. More so, I think McKenzie Milton pushes the ball downfield well. He improvises, but he gets an RPO game going where you can kind of pick apart the middle of the defense if they're giving that to you consistently. McKenzie Milton has shown over his career that they that he can hit that over the middle of the field. So I think that unlocks that portion of the offense, which would be big because it opens up other things. Opening line, FSU versus LSU in 2022. That's what Semicole wants to know. Nothing will change. There won't be any transfer quarterbacks or anything between now and then. I don't will know. Will Ed O be coaching LSU at this point? Probably. What's NCAA going to do? Heflon Ed. All right. Uh, let's see where the next question is. Because we do these Q&A threads, and then inevitably like people start answering the question in the thread, which okay. All right. Sunday Gold wants to know. Which player would you pay for the rights of exclusive interviews a la Texags? And how much are you dropping? So explain to me what happened. I saw a thread on the board. Was there, and I would expect something like this from Texags, but did Texags like cut NIL deals with certain players on the team for exclusive rights? I think it was two players. I don't know how much dough they dished out, but yeah. And I don't know what exclusive, like, does it mean that like they have an exclusive interview once a week or something? Or does it mean that they're the only outlet that those two players can talk to? I don't know the details of that. I personally don't find any value in this. Um, if another competitor of ours did it in this market, 
it's not like we couldn't use the quotes and just credit them in the story, right? Like, you want to know why TexEx did it? Why? So we would all talk about it. So ESPN yeah. would talk about it. So it's advertising. They're advertising. Well, I don't know. That that market's a little weird, Chris. They might have. But done they're, they're flexing some muscle, is what they're doing. I guess maybe. They did get a lot of, they did get a lot of, they got their money's worth in publicity for sure out of that. Um, oh, who would we want? Like, who would we want to say we, we talked to? I don't think no there'd be anybody on the team that's worth paying. Well, I mean, it depends how much, inf- like, are they, are they giving us the goods? Are I'll they take Andrew Parchment. Oh, Andrew Parchment would be fun. He's a different cat. We can get him to do some, uh, to he drop some beats. pretty straight, and I like those kind of humans. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, Dylan Gibbons was really thoughtful and insightful if he's willing to be that during the course of the season and open up about, like, what's working, what isn't working at, at different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd be someone I wouldn't mind hearing from consistently. See, I'd like to do a post game show with Dante Lucas. I think that would be great. Just just to get his unfiltered thoughts right after the game. No. You yeah, no, Josh. I mean the, the content would be something. People would tune in. All right. Big Earn wants to know. <laughs> Give me an early ranking of these 2023 20, wide receivers and where FSU stands for them. Jacobs. That's all <laughs> dry. This uh, stands in a great position for him. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, Santana Fleming. I think we all have him crystal crystal ball to FSU. I don't know that I actually have, but I feel very good about where FSU sits with him right now. Yes. Since, you know, it's Williams. Kind of recruiting for him. That is teammates with uh, Omar Graham. Thank you, Zach. So, Zach, we're, what do you think of FSU and Hakeem Williams? He hasn't visited yet. Um, I mean, he visited on his own with Omar Graham in the spring, but he hasn't visited like in person yet with the with the staff. So, until that happens, I don't you know. You can't really project right. class or anything. Adam Hopkins. I keep showing up to FSU. That's definitely a good sign. You know, I obviously those South Georgia guys are getting recruited heavy by a lot of people, as we saw with Gabe Harris. What happened in June with him? But Adam keeps on showing up to Tallahassee, which I would certainly deem a very good sign. Do so I have him crystal balled? You do. You're the only you one, I believe. Okay. Uh, I think I you crystal balled him before you knew who he actually was. I'm still not sure who he was. <laughs> he, 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 he was here three or four times. No, uh, There's seven on seven. He was here watching his coach's kid at, at the youth clinic. He was here watching a teammate at one of the um, camps. Is he going to play wide receiver or is he being recruited as a cornerback? I think Marcus Woodson's recruiting him. I think early on Marcus recruits South Georgia. That's yeah, Marcus. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think early on it's a wide receiver still, he, even though he, yeah, that's just Marcus's territory. He just seems very similar to to all day Dre to me though, and like build and and the way they play. That's, that's yeah, he's long, he's lanky, goes up and gets. So yeah, I see some of the similarities, but Adam's a really talented kid. There's also a 2025 kid there, same school, who's very very good. Who William Fowles. That's yeah. a Zach kid. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, Florida State offered him um, in the spring, and then he visited for a seven-on-seven. Seven. Looked pretty good out there. Um, was he the Dade Christian, the big, the big yes. wide receivers act? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, he was impressive. The main thing holding him back was quarterback play. Yeah, he said FSU leads after that visit, so that's where they stand. <laughs> okay, what about Jalen Brown? I know he's been on campus. Where's FSU stand with him? Yeah, I mean, Jalen is like probably, in my opinion, the top guy out of this list just because of um, his speed. Like he's like 
insanely fast on a track. I think he ran like a, you know, mid 10, 10 second, um, hundred meter dash this past season for Gover prep. So I'm a big fan. Um, he visited for with Lamont Green Jr. for the June 5th camp, I believe. Um, he might've been there one other time this summer, but um, he, he visited a lot of schools. So we'll see. I think Miami's also involved in um, some schools up north as well. Pick up the energy, Zach. The COVID cats have more right. than you do right now. <laughs> All right, Big Earn. I hope uh, I hope that tied you over on 2023 wide receiver. Brand, Brent, no Brandon Ennis. I wanted to sing some Oklahoma. He didn't. He didn't bring up Brandon Ennis. But uh, mm-hmm. Noel Remorse wants to know, Brandon, when does fall camp start? They report on August 6th, so I presume the FSU hasn't sent out a schedule. I assume it's August 7th. That would be the day after their report. Soon. That's a Sunday, isn't it? The 7th? I don't know. Dude, I don't even know what day of the week. Like, I don't even what what day is today. Monday. 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 Okay. FSU CB 400. He wants to know. This didn't come from our, our Knowles 24-7 group chat because I think we ask this every day. Uh, which DT do you think currently – FSU is in best position with. <laughs> Daniel Lyons. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like that response by all of us is a uh, man. Maybe Tyree West. I mean, but Tyree West is committed to another school right now. So Tyree West almost got back into FSU the last day of June. Right. He there we was a strong call. possibility. We were sitting there waiting. It just didn't come together. But it was something that was being worked on behind the scenes. He did come obviously earlier in June, but he's still committed to Georgia at this time. There's some talk that Georgia may drop him. I don't know if that's true or not. I've not straight up asked Tyree, hey Tyree, you expect to be dropped by Georgia? <laughs> um, Zach, I think uttered Daniel Lines. I think that's a fair one. We know he has a good relationship with Odell. Mm-hmm. But man, that board feels so tiny. Like why it it has for the last couple of years? I mean, it it certainly did last year. Um, and we've been poking around. We even said heading into the summer that the board was was thin and that we'd probably have more answers coming out of summer. And we really did. We see a new name. Hastings is a kid that might come along. He he was so so at working out here because he's raw. He's a Canadian kid at CAI down in Clearwater. I don't think Chris at this point. FSU needs big bodies that they have to teach how to play football because that's essentially what Hastings is. He's a big athletic body that doesn't know the game of football. Yeah, but he's a big, violent human. This is Florida State. This is a rotation of defensive tackles that we're used to seeing dominate. And now we're seeing a rotation of developmental players at the position. Yeah. It's just weird to me that there's not a more prominent name. And maybe it comes about Odell kind of recruits at a different pace, you know, compared to what some of the other guys obviously do. But I just for mid-June, end of June into July, it doesn't feel like a spot that is great. And, you know, maybe they're banking on one of these big body DNs that are recruiting, a guy like Kelly, for example, to keep growing and grow more into that. Because it is clear they like athletic defensive tackles. You know, we've seen what a guy like Farmer get moved there. A guy like Jackson's eventually going to probably end up there. They're not so much the big, heavy, eat up space, consume guys. They want some athleticism to their D tackle. So maybe it's a change in viewpoint, but it just seems weird to me that 
we can't directly point to a whole lot of names and say, oh, they're in a good spot with this guy, that guy, and that guy. And eventually, you know, it's going to trickle down. We'll figure out who they're going to get. Right. <clears throat> All right. Null Nation 1418, Byer Brown, Jarvis Brownlee is the best DB on the roster. I'm Let's buying go. it. I'm buying it just because I don't want that smoke. <laughs> what? You don't believe that? Uh, I think you make the argument. No, best. I mean, DB. I get cornerback. Maybe uh, DB. If it's would not also him, play. who is it? I mean, Travis J. Jamie Robinson. I think Jamie Robinson based would be on the most what? consistent. Based on what? Based on uh, Travis J. is more of an upside. Jamie Robinson's because he's been a, a pretty steady two-year performer and starter in the SEC. And I think I, Miko's I a guy that the staff likes a lot. Um, but I'll go ahead and take Brownlee simply because I thought he was playing pretty good ball at the end of last year. Yeah, I like Brown, Brownlee. I'm, I'm taking any South Florida kid, um, especially the DB position. Vikings 2010, how many commits during the week surrounding July 25th? How many? What's the under over? What are we setting at? What would you go, three and a half? Would you take that as the under over? Is that a hard one? Are we bleeding it into early August with Jay yeah. early? Give it okay. like five days on either side. Okay. I think it's so, called an over-under, by the way. Daughtry, I'm not Richardson, Jalen Early are two major possibilities. Who else? Is there anybody uh, else you would throw in there, Zach? Yeah, the quarterback, Chris Parsons. Yeah, Chris Parsons. All right, so that's three. So let's throw one and a half as the difference. Four and a half, over-under. No, it's called three and a half. Okay, then I'll take the over. Why? Who's your fourth? I don't know who the fourth will be. But oh, I'm you're just, just saying. Go those, oh, take okay, a I got you. You're, you're putting in the, the little cushion there. Um, don't use mystery recruit. I hate that term. Yeah, there could be. You're right. There could be another 2023. I yeah, four and a half would be a good one. I'd probably ooh four and a half. That's a four and a half. I'd probably take four. I'd probably take the under. Yeah, I'd probably take the under too. What about you, Zach? Four and a half. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, unless there's a mystery recruit that probably Chris will be. Chris involved. Mystery yeah. recruit, mystery recruit, mystery recruit. Yeah, I'll take the under of four and a half. All right. So we think somewhere between like three and four commitments. And then by the, what, by middle of August, by the early, by early August, there could be another three to four commitments. Yeah. I just look at the target list for 22. I don't feel, you know, Jalen Glover's a guy, but right now we think he's trending somewhere else. So. Yeah, I don't see another name that I feel super confident is probably going to make a decision for sure. In the, that window. the only reason I would take the over on this is because I do think that we're going to see when you start seeing the top tier guys commit, like we saw a couple guys commit to Clemson. We saw uh, Booker go to Alabama. Sometimes that can cause a run below them. Yeah. You know, guys try guys looking at their, the number one player at their position committing and saying, okay, well that spot's gone now. So I need to like make, and sometimes that can create a landslide of commitments, especially coming up toward the end of summer. Maybe that happens more toward like the start of the season, but with FSU doing something with Friday night lights going on at UF with Miami doing something like, I'm just saying there could be something happening with commitments, but there's also the, I want to get it done before my high school season group that always kind of comes about and some of the kids that we saw here commit recently especially img kids is because they're reporting back to img exactly so all right no remorse if we go six and six do we finish with the best recruiting class in the state also 
give a neutral opinion. Should Miami fans be worried about their recruiting class? Uh, if, if FSU finishes six and six, I do not think they have the best recruiting class in the state. You think Florida? I think Florida will. Do you yeah. think Florida has a top 10 class? I think they should. Um, be- because I think FSU gets a top 10 class if they finish six and six. So that, I think that's... UF will have a top 10 class. Okay. Yeah. I think All right. Should Miami be worried? I don't think Miami should be worried. I mean, should they be worried today in a microcosm of just today? Sure. They don't have a lot of commitments, but recruiting is a long game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Miami's not going to finish in the 70s. Like that, it's not even, That's not even up for debate. Miami's going to have a top 15, top 12 class at worst. Worst case, I think Miami has like a top 12, 13 class. Um. I don't think right now is a popular time to be committing to Miami, but I also think like recruiting ebbs and flows. And I, if I was a Miami fan, I'd maybe be a little frustrated at the midpoint of summer, but I sh- certainly wouldn't be like freaking out or worried about yeah. recruiting. What would be bad for Miami is if they go out this year and lay an absolute egg and stink on the field because mm-hmm. they've not built up a class that they can try to retain. And then they would really not have any momentum to try to re- build a class. So, but that would be a big negative. If me. they can go out and win eight or nine games this season, they can completely recover from this summer. Yeah. All right. Knowles, 1998. Do you guys think Fuller is coaching for his job this season? I think hmm. technically he doesn't. Is it, is he on a two-year deal or a three-year deal? I think the coordinators are three years. Oh. Um, I mean, yeah, I get. I, yeah, I, there's a, there's a, so. there's a scenario of if the defense doesn't get any better that you have to say okay that's two years of this last year was kind of a gimme, uh, but but then you have a full year of if you're in the hundreds again and there's not a noticeable jump up then yeah I think there's a reason to be concerned and to really truly evaluate whether he's that that guy or not for you. Yeah, I don't think it's a hot seat situation going into the year because uh, I just don't think you can take a whole lot from last year good or bad for most any new coaches at any jobs. But if it was dreadfully bad again this year, then yes, I certainly think he would be coaching himself into a hot seat situation. It, it does. It's funny. Cause I hear this a lot. Like we'll talk about a qualifier with like, you can't judge anyone off of last season. And I, I say that and I agree with the logic of it, but then like if they come out and, and give up 40 points and get run over again by, by Notre Dame and, and the, you know, they get whipped up front like they did last year against Notre Dame. We remember last year's game against Notre Dame, right? Like it's going to be hard yeah. to, to keep mm-hmm. that out there's of your no, mind. There's no doubt that Alan Gates a tone setter and that it can help change a narrative very quickly, but it can also very quickly reattach you to the former anchor of a narrative and drag you right back down. Mm-hmm. Jay Todar, Jay Todar wants to know, Byers Sinone, four games affected by COVID. Oh boy. Oh. I don't know. I'm not even answering. I, I Sinone. Yeah, Novid. More like Novid. <laughs> I can make COVID jokes now, which has been great, been liberating, really. Um so one thing I think is gonna be interesting this week, to be serious, the ACC kickoff, Chris, hopefully, because he's gonna be there day before before I am, and the commissioner is gonna speak, and we'll hopefully get clarity that day on like what the testing policy is gonna be for the for the conference. But but my understanding is in talking to a source recently is that I think there's going to be like a, like a, a sliding scale for whether you, whether you have like a very strict protocol or, or loose protocol based on the amount of uh, your team that you have vaccinated. Uh, 
I don't think we'll get numbers on percentages from FSU, whether, you know, how many guys are vaccinated. Uh, but I would take the under. I, I don't think I, I would say no. I don't think there's going to be four games for FSU that are impacted by COVID. There was only, what, two last year? Uh, and, and the rules were very strict and, and there wasn't a vaccine then. Okay. Jamrock Knoll, who would you rather have of these? Coleman or Skinner? Pritchett or Armella? So Coleman or Skinner? I'd rather, okay, Chris, you go first. I'd rather have Skinner. Pritchett uh, or Armella? Uh, I think Pritchett because I think he's a little bit more clay that can be molded. Zach? I, I agree with both of Chris's selections. I think Pritchett's the the more has more upside at the offensive tackle position specifically. Yeah, and I think Coleman or Skinner that that one just you take Skinner because he has measurables like we haven't seen in a few years. Whereas Coleman, he's a great slot receiver, um, but we kind of see those every year. Go Knowles wants to know. Oh no, that's another COVID cancellation question. Um. Noel Remorse has another one. If we are ranked 100 for defense in the country using S&P, how big of a jump, if any, do you think we'll make in year two under Fuller? Uh, where do we need to be for you to feel confident that we'll win six plus games? Like where in the defensive rankings do we need to be? And which defensive position group is poised to add the most to any improvement on the field? Knock those out for me, boys. So no, and you're more of an S and P guy, so I'll let you take that one first. Uh, I was I was pointing to you so I could look up the S and P real quick because I, I don't think FSU was in the hundreds for defense for the S and P plus, and probably like the 80s or something like that. But but I don't know for sure. Um, so for the first part, like where does FSU need to be defensively to be competent enough to get to six and six? I, I mean. I think you probably need to be with S&P does factor in recruiting rankings over like a four year scale. And even though FSUs have gone down, they're still going to be, you know, a top 20 team in, in that category. So uh, that does impact the beginning of the year S&P plus. I know I'm rambling here. I'm just trying to do it in my mind. I think like if you're in the 40s or 50s, uh, that's probably going to get you as a, as a pretty mediocre uh, defense in the power five which mediocre would be an upgrade from last year. So that would get you in, into probably being a reasonable six. But when it cut off, I was able to look it up. FSU was in the hundreds and the S&P plus on defense, which is really, really bad given where FSU would start the season with the recruiting rankings. So yeah, if you get into the 60s, I think that gets you to be a mediocre defense. Mediocre defense probably gets you mediocre win-loss results. Uh, and, and again, six and six is what FSU, you know, that'd be overachieving based on what Vegas expects. Right. All right. Jack's tribe wants to know um, you're starting five on the offensive line, comma backups. Okay. Left tackle. Wait, real quick, real quick. Cause Chris wasn't here last week when Josh and I apparently posted some very, made some very controversial comments. Would you say FSU's offensive line recruiting and the transfer portal this cycle, Chris was disappointing or adequate? Well, that's, two very extreme terms there's not in between i feel like it's in between i mean adequate just is like average i can't um, say disappoint because i think dylan gibbons dylan gibbons is a very good addition do i think mm -hmm. it's adequate no because they didn't get tackle okay 
Josh and I said disappointing, and uh, apparently we didn't choose our words carefully enough there. I I, I thought that just coming away with one, regardless well, if it was. Oh, I saw some of that discussion um, when I was bored in a hotel in St. Louis, <laughs> um, which wasn't often. But uh, they a year ago, if we wrote down what do they need in the portal, you would write down offensive tackle. They did not get that. Was there one for them to attain? Eh, there probably was somebody that could have got. I don't know necessarily if I feel like they were fools for not pursuing somebody. Yeah, it's, I don't. It, it's I don't a think deep we called question. them. I don't think we called them foolish or thought they were foolish. I just think there was a need, and you were able to get that need for whatever reason. Um, and, and would you have been well served to to maybe even if you couldn't get a tackle to go ahead and get two guards or even a backup tackle type, a swing tackle? Like I, I think that's at least for discussion um but anyways left to right i'm gonna go i, I mean i think darius washington starts at left tackle uh i think dylan gibbons is prior starter at left guard next to him marie smith at center right guard Devonte love taylor right tackle robert scott is what i go with as of today and probably lean towards those five being starting five i don't know necessarily on the spots being for sure that um but yeah i think those are your five best Right. Uh, Rice and Warner availability. Rice, Emmett Rice and Leonard Warner. Yeah. Um, so Leonard Warner, based on his injury, I think it was Achilles related. I don't know if it was ruptured or not, but it was Achilles. Anytime you're talking about that, you see him in the walking scooter. Uh, not great. I do not think he'll be available this season, but no one has come out and definitively said that. I would be surprised if we saw him play based on when the injury occurred and what I believe the severity of the injury is. Emmett Rice, we still haven't gotten clarity whether it was a ACL or or a lower leg injury. He was seen in a walking boot, which we would say maybe lower leg, but, but it could have been just a support after a knee injury. I think we see him. I don't know if it's available at the start of the season, though. Okay. Chris, this one's to you from Jack's tribe. No one likes to talk kicking, but to sneak a win or two, kicking is very important, both field goal and field position. How does the staff feel about the room? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to answer for the staff because they left the spring saying it was still pretty much a competition between those main two there. I think they feel like they have two guys who are capable enough the actual production needs to be better than last year without a shadow of a doubt. Hopefully Fitzgerald breaks through. I think he's more talented of the two kickers, um, bigger leg, things of that sort, but we'll see. I, I don't want to say what the staff thinks because I haven't truly had that conversation with the staff. I'm trying to find some questions that aren't repeats. Um, Bob Ferrante likes to talk about kickers. I'll just add that in there. Um, there is someone out there. DP Air 573, Byer Sinone, Chubba Purdy will have a full and active offseason next year and we'll get the start over Duffy. Um, I'm going to Sinone the second part of it. I don't know if he's going to be the starter. I mean, I think Jordan Travis is still around and, and he would be eligibility wise. I, I, I think right now the plan is for Jordan Travis to probably be the heir apparent to McKenzie Milton unless Chubba Purdy really makes a lot of strides this year. Yeah, I'm going to Sonone it. I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Chubba Purdy does not start any games at FSU due to him outright winning the position. Interesting. 
And there's a lot of variables that we don't know because he, he just hasn't been healthy really in his time here. And we don't mm -hmm. know exactly what he is. So it's hard to really prognosticate that and project it. All right. Knowles, Chris, 2020, do you consider Bama the top competition for Kevin Coleman? Who is the top competition for Marvin Jones Jr.? Uh, do you buy or so know that we actually still lead for Nigel E. Kelly? Have a great week, guys. Uh, Zach, you and I were actually talking about this the other day uh, on the phone. Do you think Alabama is still the top competition for Kevin Coleman? No, I actually think it's um, – after, like, thinking about it, I think it's Oregon. Um, I like, I'm not sure where Alabama stands with Kevin Coleman. I know there were some rumors going around about him not making it there over the summer and that, how that affected their view on him. Obviously he's a really talented prospect, but I think Oregon, um, if, if they can get him in, uh, in, in this last week of July, which I think was the plan, um, I, I think they'd probably be the, the top competition, but it's hard to say because he didn't visit any other school aside from Missouri during the month of June. So, right. And any, I, yeah. I just remember how, you know, when you're Alabama and you're recruiting that way, it, it's similar to how Jimbo was in 2012, 2013, 2014. And it was out of sight, out of mind. Remember that Chris, like if you didn't come, it didn't matter how highly you were ranked, who you were, but if you didn't come and work out for Jimbo during that summer or come see Jimbo during that summer, you were out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, you're going to have to put something great on film uh, early in your senior year. I, Hank South actually was asked this in a uh, Q&A on BOL in the last couple of days. And he basically said that, you know, he thinks if they circle back, it will be because of senior film. Okay. So, yeah, we do not at this point, unless he shows up, consider Alabama the top competition for Kevin Coleman. All right. Who, Zach, is the top competition for Marvin Jones Jr.? I mean, like, I think probably Ohio State is my guess. Um, I think he that's a school he likes. You know, he visited Florida State, Florida, Miami, but, I, you know, if he doesn't go to Florida State, I could see him going out of state to, like, an Ohio State, and they're obviously having really good success on the recruiting trail. So, um, you know, I wouldn't doubt their chances, but we'll see. I, I think Miami sits in a good spot. They got him on campus for Paradise Camp at the end of the, uh, the month of June, um, and we'll see if he makes any trips at the end of July. And then finally, do we buy or Sinone that we actually still need for Nigel E. Kelly? Now, Nigel E. Kelly broke up with Florida State. He decommitted, reopened his recruitment. But when he did, he said FSU still leads. I've heard a lot of recruits say that. I never put too much into that. Am I being a little bit of a pessimist here, Chris? Or uh, did you take Nigel E. Kelly at his word when he said FSU is his leader? Well, I would be synoning it. Um, so I think it's fair to have your view. I he likes the recruiting process. So right. like who leads today for him is fairly meaningless. We know he's gonna take an official here in September. We know right now, you know, he told me and Andrew Ivans that he plans to go to Miami and potentially Georgia Tech during that last week of July. I think he has another trip planned to Indiana. I expect him to take other visits in addition to that. Like uh, Nah, it, this isn't one of these where it's boiling down to a decision next couple of weeks. So who cares who leads right now? Yeah. And I think people are taking Nigel Eke at his word on something that he said back in April. And if, if you know Nigel e. Kelly, you know, he's not the same person he was like 30 minutes ago, let alone five or six months ago. So I would, uh, I would definitely have known that we actually lead for Nigel e. Kelly. All right. 
Agent Cock wants to know how many how I'm just reading the names of the that was Sinone for anyone who couldn't figure it out. How much what? damage would it do to Tribe 22 if Notre Dame wins by 28 points in the season opener? I, I think FSU, you know, FSU is going to be 19th in the recruiting rankings if they lose by 28 or more. On the other hand, if we win by 10 plus, who would you put on commit watch? Everybody. Everybody. I like it. All right. Boxing bug. Buyer Sinone. Agree with the sentiment that majority of Norvell's classes, 20 and 21, will end up as a whole higher rank than initially thought? No. Sinone. Yeah, I don't think so either. A class is sort of what it is. Like if, it, We've talked ad nauseum about the fact that they had the chip stacked against them with recruiting last year because of the situation and what it was. No, I, I don't expect a whole lot of those guys to exceed what they were thought of. In transition classes, you could look at Willie Taggart's where more than half of those guys in his 2018 class are no longer with the program. Uh, they're notoriously uh, unstable, I guess. Plus, they're going to try to recruit over a lot of those guys, if we're being perfectly honest about it. Yeah. Tone Capone 4, say you own a car dealership and you have an NIL budget of 500000 for the 2022-23 season. How would you potentially spread the funds around on our remaining targets in the 2021 class? For this hypothetical, let's say our current commits already have NIL money lined up. So you got 500 k for about, what do we what do we think FSU is going to take here? Like 11 or 12 more guys? To clarify for the 2022 class? is Yeah. Okay. So about 50K per if you just spread it evenly. If we're trying to be nice to everybody the same way. But we're not. Because FSU has needs, Chris. All right, Josh, where are you throwing it? Well, first off, how much do you spend? This is like a rotisserie style, right? Rotisserie style of fantasy baseball? Or is it rotary? Rotisserie or rotary, Chris? You know well, fantasy I don't know, but now I'm hungry. I don't know. Can you get a discount for legacy recruits? Or in FSU's case, do they have to pay legacy recruits more? Ooh. Uh, I think it'd be a slap in the face to pay them less, to be honest. Well, you can't get a hometown discount, family discount. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and... and, Friends and family. You go ahead and tell Chaytree that he's taking less money because he played here. His son's taking less money because he's... Yeah, but FSU fans said he's coming here anyway because he's Chaytree's son. How much would you start off on spending for Travis Hunter? He's already committed. He's already committed. We already dropped the bag. Yeah, but if he looks around and and everyone is is getting $100,000, if I'm Travis Hunter, I'd say, hey, hey, come on now. I'd give the 500K to Travis Hunter and let him distribute it. There you go. Let him make the decision. He's got more intel than any of us. Knee used car sales uh, says give it to Travis Hunter. All right, known. This comes from Mr. Foreman. J Trav starts the first game. I'm Sononi. No, I'm synoning it. Brock, 25K, what would be considered a competitive final score versus Notre Dame? I think if you stay within 10, that's enough to, like, not send alarms everywhere. So, like, 30. I was going to say 10 to 7 would be a competitive final score. That means, you know, they were keeping each other out of the end zone, and it was a battle the whole game, 10-7, FSU. What about 42-41? People, Adam Fuller, uh, Adam Fuller crowd would be. That doesn't sound loud. very competitive, Chris. Competitive to me sounds like ten to seven. It's eighty-three points, and the difference was one. One point. At John- <laughs> nobody was playing. Nobody was competing on defense. Welcome to college football these days. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, Byer Sinone, this is from Ben Cunnert. Byer Sinone, several coaches will not receive a contract extension after this year. Um, all right, we'll start with that one. Several coaches will not. Uh, several coaches also known that. What, set a number for several. Several is three. Three? Three. At to, least. To me, it would be at least three. So maybe like four. I don't think four coaches will get will get severed. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Three feels like maybe push mm-hmm. territory at best. If you have a sub-500 season, I could see three coaches moving on. Yeah. Especially because if you usually if you change a coordinator, that's going to result in at least one other change. Myers mm-hmm. to know the weight game will be the most critical game of the season. Yeah, uh, I buy that. Uh, yeah, that's probably your most – pivotal reasonably winnable notre game dame that you're not going to way to a 10 win season i think notre dame is still the most because it sets the tone but they you can win make and then, then they go to 10 wins you can make a reason yeah it does change if you're, if you're, you're trying to be what you're projected to be you got to beat wake yeah because that is they're probably gonna be underdogs in that game but that is a winnable game where you probably have like within a reasonable like 40 percent chance of winning um but I still think it's Notre Dame in terms of weight games have led to guys losing their jobs at this school before. So just saying, no, no, Willie Taggart wasn't on the hot seat after that game. It was the next, the very next loss against Miami. MTP where he was on the hot FSU seat. wants to know the team's current vaccination rate. It's a known TB Boston 99 wants to know with the addition of Marcus Cushney at DN, do you see Kier Thomas playing primarily defensive tackle? Uh, I think he starts at Fox defensive end in the base mm-hmm. packages. It does allow him to move inside more, which is very much so how he was used at South Carolina. It was probably like a 60% defensive tackle, 40% defensive end type of type of deal. So I think it'll be maybe flipped to where he's 60% outside, 40% inside. Uh but yeah, Kushni is a big addition because he does free up Kier Thomas to, to move around a little bit more in some packages. I like the take. Vikings 2010. First offensive drive of the Notre Dame game. What position does J Trav line up at? What? Well, I mean, against Miami, they had him in the slot and move him all around. So I just here's my take on 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 J Trav lining up anywhere other than QB. I think FSU can do better. So often people love to think that first start of the game, we're going to throw some tricks at them. And sometimes they do, but more often than not, it's pretty mundane and boring. It's basic. We're going to line up with our base package and go. And see, yeah, I, I would think it'd be more the third series or so third or fourth, where you would see if Jay Trav, especially if you're like taking him and putting him at quarterback. Let me ask you guys this over under 20 snaps for Jordan Travis in the opener. Under. Yeah, I'd take the under. Here's here's the question. Let's Zach answer it. Let's people want to move J Trav all around. Like under. And <laughs> <laughs> Zach opened the curtains and answered. <laughs> people want to move J Trav around and and act like you know he's the second coming of like Michael Vick or something. Where do you rank him in the wide receiver room? Solely as a wide receiver. Like, where do you put them? Because people act like you could just plug them in there and they're going to instantly be better. But I don't. I, I will counter that question with this question. Where would you rank him in terms of your most explosive athletes on the roster? 
on offense. I think he is the most explosive athlete. So, but I think you can line him straight up at quarterback in those situations, and he can still have success despite the fact the team knows the opposing team knows more than likely what's coming their way on this play. Yeah, because they knew that was more than likely coming their way last year, and he was still a very, very effective runner, uh, arguably think, the, the the most explosive running quarterback in the country last year. I think you can get too cute and try to be trickery with it, not just play it straight up, and he's talented enough that if you block it up and play at a decent enough level on the play with a couple options that keeps the defense on their toes, he can have success. I, I do think we see him – I think to both your guys' point, we see him probably 70, 80% of his snaps are at quarterback, not at slot wide receiver or tailback or wherever. All right. There's a lot of kind of repetitive questions about things. S Dog Father wants to know, though. Um, one, what player on the roster is the best recruiting host? Probably Amari Gaynor. He's definitely up there, yeah. One of the best all around. I mean, it also depends. Like, if you get a guy coming in from Mississippi and pair him up with, a guy from Mississippi, obviously they're going to hit it off really well, but I just think overall, like if you're going to pick one guy, maybe probably Amari. Two S dog father wants to know is eight wins reasonable for this team. I don't know if you've been listening. Wait, let, let's go back. Zach, did you have anyone in mind? Cause you got your finger on the pulse with, with recruits and visits. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Amari Gainer is a good choice. Uh, any of the quarterbacks, like if they're if they're involved with the quarterback recruit, but that hasn't really been the case recently. Um, Deontay Sheffield was always good. I'm trying to think of others that were that have been good um, for FSU. Jerry Jones, like like Josh mentioned, um, for Mississippi kids, he did a great job with Trevion Williams when he was down for his official visit. Um, but I think. Trevian literally told me that after a conversation with Jerry and Jones about FSU, that's why he wanted to commit right then and there to the staff. So he was also um, big with Jamie Robinson. That was unofficial. That wasn't an official visit, but he was kind of the guy who showed him the ropes. Yeah. It's a good call. I don't think eight wins is reasonable for this team. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you would understand why. Uh, here's a good question How would you grade this offseason? Transfers, recruiting, staff hires, et cetera? B. Plus. A minus. I was between B plus and A minus. This was a really good off season. The off field hires were really impressive, and if you know, Ryan Barto pays immediate dividends for sure, I think getting Randy Shannon some of the Miami connections there is going to help now and and, and down the road. We talked about the transfer portal. I, mean, I think the transfer portal usage for FSU was probably like a B plus or so. If you got a, a starting offensive tackle, I think it automatically goes to an A, but but still. I think pretty good, even with some of the unknowns that are out there. And then you're able to retain your staff. I think that'll be valuable as well. Uh, so yes, this seemed to be a pretty good off season. Uh, no rest for, for current players, which has been good. Um, not so much for former players, but that's another story. Uh, so yeah, it's been a good off season for FSU. Yeah, I'd go probably with a B plus. Uh, disappointment would be offensive line transfer portal recruiting. But beyond that, everything else is good. B plus. Um, Illinois, Noel. Do unofficial visits get paid for with a handshake or parent, or are they really on the recruits' dime? Do you think NIL will drastically change the 2022 class? I'll answer both real quick. Do un no FSU ain't FSU's pretty uh broke, 
I don't think they're paying for unofficial visits, especially some of these guys that have come. Um, no, they come on their own dime. A lot of the kids understand the opportunities they have at hand. Uh, they go and usually go see one, one or more schools on a trip like this. So I don't think uh, FSU is paying for these guys. Do I think NIL will change recruiting drastically in the 2022 class? No. Anybody else have a very different opinion on that? I think it may for the uh, the extremely special recruits, top 25, top 50 type kids in the country. Um, I think a few of them may pay a little bit more attention to what's happening at certain schools versus others, but I don't think it will across the entire landscape. Noelcat18, in your guys' opinion, when should Coach name the starting QB? In the spring. <laughs> Same. Whenever he's damn well ready. Before the Jacksonville State game. I think that, like, these guys – Jacksonville State. Did they play Jacksonville State this year? Yeah, it's game two. Is it really? Wow. Sinone's clearly working on those pregame previews already. We haven't COVID gotten bra- to that part of the offseason. COVID brain. <laughs> All right. It has made me much stupider, by the way. Just the ability or inability to like connect thoughts has, has been problematic. We've been recording for so long that I found out I was negative already today. Will Congratulations. Shaheen, will Shaheen Brown split some heads on special teams this year? Let's go. Yeah, I think he's going to hit people. That, that's by far his best quality. And he loves playing on special teams, too. And I think they love that he loves playing on special teams. And there was recently a picture of all the freshman defenders and uh, – he looked pretty jacked up. He looked pretty yoked. So, yeah, bye. FSU alum 04. So who's in charge around there? I know Berg has been there the longest, but it seems like Brendan does all the producing and directing of the pod, amongst other things. So are one of you a supervisor? Or are you all equal in the management area? Well, I'm site manager. I'm paid the most. We are all case. employees of 24-7 sports. Um Technically, We're all going to end up working for Zach. Yeah, technically at any moment, I guess they could tell us, like they could tell me I'm covering Miami recruiting tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. They could yeah. tell you you're on a different beat. So we don't have any stake in the Knowles 24-7 site. Um, Brendan doesn't do all the producing. I'm producing this podcast. I produced the last podcast, but he does do most of it. And yeah, um, the the one that had all the audio issues you guys were complaining about was a Josh Newberg specialty. How well, you that two was are only... just a tad bit competitive over there Jeez, about this, aren't we? <laughs> Can you feel the tension? I mean, the only reason I was doing it is because you said you had COVID, and I was in upstate New York on a vacation, and I decided to pinch hit for you. But beyond that, yeah, we just tried to I mean, get I the podcast up. I didn't say I had COVID. I had COVID. It wasn't like an excuse. FSU Alamo for what's more annoying? And this isn't a question about Brendan, actually. More questions about Hill status or still having to talk about the NIL? Probably about Hill status just because there is no answer. I think people think we're like sitting on it. Like, oh Mm -hmm. my God, they know, but they won't tell us. No, no. (laughs) We've told the you what we, what we know is pretty much what we shared. But yep. there's been other people that put out like different theories and stuff, and it kind of comes back to our site and we have to answer for it. I get more annoyed over Emmett Rice's status questions. Renegade Noel 82, running a five wide receiver set. Who are the five? <laughs> Jordan Travis in the slot. 
why I hope FSU doesn't have to run many five wide receiver sets because that would be who are your five who are your five wide receivers? That's actually a pretty good question. Can I real quick counter who's your five tight end set, Josh? We we teased that at the beginning of the podcast. All of them. All of them. Uh, you got enough. Uh Andrew Parchment, Ontario Wilson, Keyshawn Helton, Malik McLean, and then Brian Robinson or Kentron Podier. I mean, either and of those two. The ones you didn't mention are Burrell and uh, Jordan, Jordan Young. Young. Anybody else? Yep. Uh, no, that's it. Darian Williamson yeah. is on the roster. Cam McDonald could be like a wide receiver. Jordan Travis, slot wide receiver. Chubba Purdy, get him involved. Three QBs What's at once. What's the most outrageous story you're allowed to tell from your college days? This from Bad Bean. Could be anything. That you're allowed to tell? I'm not really allowed to tell a lot. Um, I, I don't know if this is so outrageous, but it'll resonate on the podcast. But I used to live in Indian Village uh, for all five years of college. And my freshman year, we'd go out and we were mainly at house parties because I was like 18 years old. And we'd come back, of course, after probably going to get food, um, drinking all night, going to get food. And then we'd come back and like party back at the houses. And a couple of houses down, um, Sebastian Janikowski used to hang out at in after hours and we had a basketball hoop in front of my house and we of course you know after drinking eating partying of course at three in the morning we'd come back and play basketball and there's many times where janikowski would jump in the game and um we were very competitive as was he and it was like 3 a.m and he's like doing post moves and it was <laughs> it was fun he was a good time he was uh he was good at drinking and playing basketball. In that it's order. It's a good story. And kicking some footballs. I My college career was pretty boring. I was dating a high school sweetheart all through college. Oh, I didn't really geez. get into anything. I was I was more rambunctious and rowdy and probably have better stories that I can't tell in my uh, one year of being single in, there in was Tallahassee. There when we used to play this game where we, if you know Indian Village, it's like a second story um there's a carport underneath each building under each each townhome and we would take the garbage can up to the first level get in the garbage can and slide down while people threw glass beer bottles at the garbage can from the other porches in the neighborhood seems dangerous don't know why we did that but it was fun <laughs> it was more fun to throw the glass bottles than to get in the trash can and slide down the stairs One day during the summer, my dad stayed at my house during the summer and uh, for because he had to for work or he was up in Tallahassee and I wasn't up there. And apparently they were playing that game one night while he was uh, staying at my house and he didn't really understand the game. They tell him to get off his lawn. <laughs> yeah, basically. All right. And Zach's still living out his, his dreams right now, so we're not going to make him tell his story. We got in it in this question. It said, Brendan, don't be corny. I really don't have anything. Corny. All right. Last question from Richard P3. Which duo would you rather have on your staff as recruiters? I understand is off field and one is, oh, okay. Barto and Kenyatta or Telly Lockett and Raymond Woody? Barto and Kenyatta. Yeah. Yeah. 
especially where FSU is located. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both those guys, the impact they can make as recruiters, even uh, in the support staff role, I think is pretty profound with the connections and whatnot. And Raymond Woody was a solid recruiter at times, pretty good, uh, but not a very good on-field coach and Telly Lockett more the flip. Like he helped with Dante Lucas and having a presence in Miami, but really FSU didn't do enough in Miami to, to justify keeping him. On, yeah. On plus staff. Kenyatta and Bartow, their aspiration, they have their, their job. Like if you take Telly Lockett and Raymond Woody and hire them as off-field recruiters, they're eventually like, they want to be on the field ASAP. Like if they have an opportunity to leave the following year, they're gone. Um, I also don't think that Telly and, and Woody would do nearly as good of a job as off-field recruiters as Barto and, and Kenyatta. Would, I, would you say that Barto has made a bigger impact in his time in Tallahassee as a recruiter directly or indirectly than Woody and Telly did in their year and a half, two years combined? I mean, that's tough to say because we haven't had a, a sign class, but it's, it's, it's trending in that direction. I wasn't, I'm not nearly as high on Telly and Woody as this, this poster is as, as coaches recruiters. Okay. All right. Did we finish? Did we empty the mailbag? We emptied the mailbag. All right, I'm going to read some reviews. We told you guys, if you submit a review on iTunes for On the Bench and a five-star rating, then we will read your review right here on the show. Mm-hmm. That's the part of the podcast we're on right now. Don 195 Friday podcast. He wrote, no way, no reputable company would have touched Winston with all this baggage. He would have gotten absolutely nothing if NIL had been in effect at that time. Brendan, shame on you for not getting vaccinated. Love the pod. <laughs> but had to give a shout out about those two situations. Uh, T-Don, something crazy happened. I got vaccinated and I got COVID. I'm a statistical anomaly. All right. I do, want, comes, a, I do want a refund on the vaccine though. This comes from KCanty01. Love the show. I'm loving all the recruiting chatter. Will be cool to check back in December. Hashtag keep that same energy. Keep it. So Kwame... Canty is a Miami fan that loves on the bench. Shout out to Kwame. And he is keeping receipts of all the recruits that we're saying we're going to land over Miami. And he will be ah, back okay. to check our energy. So he's earlier when Josh said we're going to beat Notre Dame and land everybody, he's got that one written down. Congrats, <laughs> Josh. All the receipts. All right. Looking forward to when we have him as a guest in December. Jameson on the rock says take My the man. good and the bad. A good podcast, good coverage from the guys. Good mix of Zach being a homer, Josh reeling everybody in. Chris seems like I'm just here so I don't get fined type of guy. Correct. Brendan, well, just listen and form your own slightly correct opinions about him. It's a good dynamic, though, and better than the other Noel pods. Throw five says OTB and Nolcast don't mess. I started listening a while ago because of Sinone's silliness. He gets much props because without him, you'd be just some guys. Woo! That's a quarter true. He's worth a quarter. But for real, I love cheer wine over Sunkissed. Two mm. questions. What's Sunkissed? Sunkissed is soda. like an orange drink. Oh, okay. Two questions. Is the Kushni take better than the Scully pocket? Than the Scully pocket? How do you feel about the middle roles and the talent that Fuller has to play with? Uh, the first question, I think 
yeah, I didn't want them to pocket a scholarship this season. Just uh, we've documented this season so important, right? Like to, to win six or so games to show progress on the field. So anything you can do to have all hands on deck, I think is important. Um, how do y'all feel about the middle roles and the talent Fuller has to play with? What does he mean by middle roles? I presume non-starters, but guys who will contribute. Oh, okay. I was thinking middle That's defense. at least how I took it when Josh read it. Um, I, mean, I think the depth last year, you end up having to play so many guys and dealt with so many injuries. The depth, like in the secondary, you have a better feel for what you, you have this year than you did last year. Guys, you, you have some starting experience that they didn't have before. Uh, same thing with the defensive end spot, uh, defensive tackle to an extent, linebackers. I mean, the depth there is shaky, but at least Stephen Dix Jr. And, and DJ Lundy got to play last year, so you think that would lead to some improvement. So I think the middle of the defense is probably elevated uh, by by the growing pains that they had to endure last season. Or Chibi says, good, great podcast, better chemistry. Been a member of 24-7 for, for two years and have listened to OTB since. Love the info and even Brendan's nervous and nervousness and anxiety. Much needed for the comic relief to Chris's dad vibes to the rest of the OTB children. <laughs> Thank you. David Anthony Jr., big fan. Never really been a fan of podcasts before. Discovered this one via the Bleacher Report app. Was at a point where I couldn't get enough FSU coverage. Figured I'd give it a try. Only been listening for a couple months now, but I'm totally hooked and always looking forward to the next pod release. Keep doing a great job and go Knowles. Thank you. Brian, the man of greatness. Been with the boys since the beginning. Seems like forever ago that our unlikely heroes were soliciting podcast titles for their rebranded FSU podcast. I don't think it was ever a true competition amongst the names. On the bench was perfection. I feel special kinship to Josh as we are similar in age and both of us are aging in dog years. Chris Nee is a legend and a wealth of info and rumors are that he is a priest who obtained a special approval from the Vatican for his current marriage. Brendan plays his shtick and plays it well, so well in fact that I imagine it's not too far off from his everyday personality. That is correct. Zach Blitz Blostein is the resident five-star recruit. The team brought him along slowly, but in 2021, his talent is apparent and his stock has risen faster than Tesla. Bud basically is a bad movie villain, but he is a brilliant football mind. Death to Gators. Thank you. Those are all good reviews. Very good. Thank you for the kind reviews. And if you guys leave them, we will read them on the next show. We are on the bench. Thank you for listening. We will be back soon. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.